Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Express and Tennis Tours. Thank you very much for joining me on today's episode of the podcast. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And before we get to today's listener topics to talk about, I want to give full details real quickly for the next upcoming Essential Tennis Clinic. It's going to be in New York City at the New York Tennis Club in the Bronx, New York. It's going to be on April 16th and 17th. I just opened it up to those people who contacted me to get early notification yesterday. There's only six spots left. It's first come, first serve. And every clinic I've put on is sold out. I don't expect this to be any any different. So if you're in the New York City area and would like to join me for a weekend of working and improving your tennis game, working on your tennis game and, and helping you get better, definitely go sign up. You can do that by going to EssentialTennis.com. Click on clinics and you'll see full details there as well as a sign up page. If you have any questions about that, you can feel free to let me know, ian at essentialtennis.com. All right, let's go ahead and get down to business, sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right. Our first topic today on the podcast comes to us from Brad in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a 3.5 level player and wrote to me and said, in singles, when your opponent has approached the net, is it better to pass them cross court or down the line? Should I hit it flat or heavy topspin? Should I make them make consecutive volleys with their backhand or move them around? Or is a lob over their backhand side into the corner, the best idea. All right, so lots of questions from Brad about passing shots or just in general how to deal with an opponent who's coming up to the net. I'd be happy to talk about that, Brad. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to break it down and give pros and cons for five main different options that we have. When an, when an opponent comes up to the net, you basically have five main options and you know you could combine and mix and match those op- options as well. But there's five main ones. And then I'm going to talk about which is best, if there is a best. So let's first go over your, your different options. Number one, and you basically covered these, but I'm going to lay them out one at a time and give the, the pros and cons of each option. Number one is down the line, just a general down the line passing shot attempt. And the pros, the upside of going down the line is it's an easier target when you're on the run, first of all. If your opponent has hit a good approach shot, and let's say you're a right-handed player and they've hit out to your right and you're having to hit a running forehand, in general, it's easier to maintain the direction of your momentum with your target and also aim to the right. And I'm talking when you're I mean, when they've really put you in a tough spot and you're on the run, you know, heavily, I, I guess, and it's difficult and maybe even you're even a little off balance. It's difficult to take a shot on the run and cut it back the opposite direction, let's say to the left to hit a sharp angle in this uh, circum- in this situation when you're running out to the right for a forehand. So 
That's pro number one. Down the line is easier when you're on the run. Next up, uh, it's going to be the most open court if your opponent approaches cross courts. And most of the time, you guys have heard me on, on the podcast say that it's smarter to approach down the line. Not everybody follows those rules. And if they approach cross courts, then they're leaving a big chunk of court open down the line from where you're receiving the ball. So being able to hit down the line in general is good in that situation. The downsides of hitting down the line are, first of all, it's just lower percentage in general. And it's lower percentage because you have less courts when you aim down the line from corner to corner. The court is shorter by, I believe, three. I, I got to gotta do the calculation again and, and come up with this. But I think it's three or four feet difference between going from corner to corner down, down the line as opposed to cross courts. And the net is also higher when you aim down the line. It's lowest in the middle. And that's where the ball would travel if you go cross courts. And then the second con of going down the line is it leaves your court open for an angle volley. So if you aim down the line and your opponent does get to it and they're at the net, even a mediocre angle volley back the opposite direction is angled away from you and to the open courts, which makes it really difficult to gather your, your balance, change direction, go back the opposite way, and then have to catch up with the ball as it's traveling away from you. So there's the pros and cons to going down the line. Cross courts, general pros and cons. First of all, under pros, volleys to the open court are down the line. So if you attempt a cross court passing shot, let's say again, you're a right-handed player and you hit a forehand from the deuce side, you hit cross courts and your opponent gets a racket on it. Um, The open court, based on where you just hit from on the deuce side, the open court is down the line from your opponent's perspective. So that means that the ball is no longer angling away from you. If they go for the open court, the ball is traveling straight. So that means it's going to be a little bit easier to get to it. It's not traveling away from you. So so that's a pro. Uh, another pro is it's a higher percentage shot in general. The net is lower, the court is longer. That is unless you're going for a big angle. If you're trying a sharp angle ground stroke, then it's no longer the case that it's a higher percentage shot. That's really important to keep in mind. If you're talking about aiming for the, the side T, where the service line meets the single sideline, that's no longer a quote-unquote high percentage shot. It's tough because you have not a lot of court to work with as you try to angle it off. But if you just try a general cross-court shot, then it is higher percentage than going down the line. And then cons of going cross-court is it's difficult to do one on the run. Because you're trying to hit in the opposite direction that your your momentum is aggressively moving towards. And we talked about that already in going down the line. So that's cross courts. Next up, we're going to talk about trying to hit a flat drive or, you know, a relatively flat shot, not a lot of topspin. The pros to that are it's a faster paced shot, which means it's easier to try to get the ball past them. So this style of shot travels a little faster than if you're trying to hit heavy spin. So being able to drive through the ball can be advantageous when trying to hit a clean passing shot past your opponents. Or maybe even if it's not a clean passing shot, at least you're not giving them very much time to react uh, to that shot. The downside of hitting flat is its lower percentage. You don't have that curve in the path of the ball to be able to keep it in play more easily. So you have to aim lower to keep it from going too far. And aiming lower means that you risk hitting the net. So it's a, it's just in general, a lower percentage shot than hitting with topspin. And another con is it's much more difficult to hit angles because it's flat and you don't have that dip in the path of the ball. 
trying to cut a, a sharp angle to the science he, like I was talking about before, it just becomes more and more difficult when you hit the ball flat without a lot of topspin. So that's the flat shot. And number four, heavy topspin. So we've already gone over down the line, cross courts, flat. Heavy topspin is next up. This is your other option when trying to pass. When you hit with heavy topspin in general, the pros are, number one, it's great for dipping the ball at the feet of your opponents. You can use that big curve in the path of the ball, aim high over the top of the net, but still have it dip down at the feet of that approaching player. And that can be really, really advantageous to, to have them kind of pop up an easy ball, maybe put away the next one. Another pro is that it's great for sharp angle passing shots when you hit heavy topspin. I, I talked a second ago about how the flat shot is difficult to hit angles. Well, with heavy topspin, it's easy to hit angles because you can keep the ball inside the boundaries of the court much more easily when you have less space, which is exactly what you're left with when you try to go for a, a sharp angle passing shot. The downside of hitting heavy topspin is that in general, it's a little bit more difficult to hit a winner. And that's because the ball is traveling more slowly than just a flat drive, which was one of the pros of a, of a drive shot is they, they travel faster through the air. And so if all you have is heavy, heavy topspin, then you might hit good angles. You might get it down at the feet of your opponent really well. However, it's going to be difficult to just hit an outright winner and cleanly pass your opponent because the ball is not traveling through the air. It's not cutting through the court nearly as quickly as a flatter shot. And then lastly, your last fifth and final option, main option here for dealing with an approaching singles player is the lob. And the pros to the lob are you can keep an attacking player honest. So if you're playing an opponent in singles, actually, or in doubles, this, this applies for doubles as well. If you're playing an opponent who loves coming to the net and is constantly attacking and making you feel uncomfortable, and especially if they are very aggressive with their positioning, and they get very close to the net and as a result are able to put the ball away very easily, you can try to keep them honest by using the lob to keep them from constantly getting super close to the net over and over and over again. So that's a, a definite upside to the lob. The downside is that it's a high, slow shot. <laughs> that's what a lob is. It's high and it's slow. By definition, it, you know, it's a highly defensive shot. And so if you don't place it well, especially if your opponent has a good overhead, then you're just setting them up. That, you know, Against a player who moves well and anticipates well and has a good overhead, they're hoping that you try to use the lob, honestly. And I fit all of those descriptors um, as a tennis player. I love the net. I, I love my overhead. And quickness is definitely a strength of mine as a player. So personally, I love it when my opponents start trying to lob me because it means that they don't see another way out besides playing the most defensive shot in tennis. And uh, I love the challenge of trying to put overheads away. And very often, it's not even much of a challenge. It depends on how good of a lobber we're talking about. So those are your five options, Brad. Down the line, cross courts, flat, heavy topspin, and lob. Of course, there's different combinations and different specific targets that we can talk about with, with different options there. But those are your general main options and the pros and the cons of each. So, of course, Brad's question was, which is best? Well, it totally depends. And, you know, I, I, can, I can just imagine all of you sitting in your car or at home or going for a run 
constantly constantly hear me say the phrase it depends and i'm sorry but it depends it totally depends on a huge array of variables it's impossible it's totally impossible to pick one of those options and say this is the best because it depends on many different things that could be different from match to match from opponent to opponent and even from day to day depending on different things like wind or sun or whether or not your forehand is on and all kinds of stuff like that. Some variables to keep in mind are how well your opponent covers the courts, how good is their footwork, and how quickly can they change direction? How well does your opponent put away volleys? Do they have a really good angle and put away volleys or do they basically just keep bumping it back to you? Other things to keep in mind are which direction your opponent is approaching from. Do they tend to hit cross court or down the line? How closely do they get to the net? How good is their overhead? And how good are your technical skills and abilities to be able to aim in different directions, to hit different types of spin, to hit the ball more or less aggressively? How good are you at all those types of things? Um, and it it's probably going to be different from your forehand to your backhand side. And how often do you get a forehand or, or a backhand approach, etc.? There's tons of variables. And so the best thing is to just know your options, to know the pros and cons of each of those options. Then you have to practice those different options so that you have the ability to use them so that when you get into a match situation and you play somebody who, let's say, keeps approaching cross courts to your backhand and doesn't get very close to the net and your strength with your backhand is heavy topspin, and you don't like aiming down the line, <laughs> all right? So there's, there's just a quick example of all the kind of all those different variables coming together in just a random example. And if that's the case, then you want to either dip it at their feet or try a sharp angle. And you know we could we could talk for hours and hours and hours grouping up t- grouping together different examples of different combinations of those variables. And it could it could mean that depending on which day and, and which combination we're talking about, your battle plan is going to be completely different. So my best advice to you, Brad, is is to practice these different options. And you can do that by working with a partner and playing competitive games. Uh, cooperative drills are, are good as well to actually practice making each of these different types of shots and then go into a competitive game where one person is approaching, the other person is trying to, to deal with that approaching player and play out as many points as you can to practice these different options. And that way, when you get into a match and you have a very specific instance where you have to be able to come up with the goods, hitting a certain type of shot in a certain type of situation against a certain type of opponent, you can say, oh, great, I practiced this shot this is what makes the most amount of sense today against this opponent in this situation. And then you can recreate that and use it during match play. So there you go, Brad. Hopefully that makes sense and, and that's helpful to you. Hopefully you get out and practice those those things so that you don't get paired up against an opponent who is exactly the opposite of what you're good at when it comes to hitting passing shots. And again, those five different options were down the line, cross courts, flat, heavy topspin, and lob. There is no best per se. It totally depends on the situation. And that's the end of my outline. So thanks very much for your question, uh, Brad. Thanks very much for writing in. And hopefully that, hopefully that answer made sense. Keep working hard at your game, and I'm sure that areas like this will continue to improve.
All right, before we get to our next topic, real quickly, I want to remind you all listening about the official sponsors of the Essential Tennis Podcast. TennisTours.com is the first. You can go there to buy tickets for WTA and ATP professional tennis tour events, all four of the Grand Slams, Indian Wells, whichever tournament you're thinking about going to. They've got a lot of them, you know, not every event, obviously, but go check them out if you're going to a professional event and check out the prices. When you check out, use the promotional code ESSENTIAL to get a discount off your purchase, and I thank them very much for their support. The other sponsor is Tennis Express, and you can go check them out by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. That'll automatically route you over to Tennis Express. They're one of the biggest online retailers for tennis gear and equipment on the web. Lots of selection, great service, free shipping for orders over $75. And when you go to that link, essentialtennis.com slash express, a small percentage of your purchase will go back to support the podcast. So I appreciate them being a sponsor and all of you who have been using that link to make your purchases. Thank you all as well. All right, let's go to our second question now. This comes to us from Jesse. Jesse wrote in and said, Ian, can we do a podcast on on the running forehand and running backhand? I have no problem hitting a normal forehand and backhand with good spin and pace through a smooth kinetic chain. But when it comes to the running forehand, even when I'm not stretched out that far, it's easy for me to roll over the ball and dump it into the net. And a double-handed running backhand is just awkward because naturally has less reach and that last step needed to make it smooth is often an, an impossibility when you're hitting on the run. It's amazing to see some pros hitting these shots with even more deadly angle and pace than a normal ground stroke, Sampras's forehand and such. How do they do that? What are some of the essential technique and mindsets needed when you're hitting these shots? All right, Jesse, good question, and I agree. It's incredible. That's it's one of the reasons why watching the pros is such a treat is they come up with shots that the rest of us watching at home could never dream of making in a million years if we were just standing there, but they do it on a dead run going from one side of the court completely to the other in an impossible position, and it just seems like it's impossible. I'm going to talk about three different elements that you need to work on to be able to hit on the run smoothly. And the first one is good judgment. And, you know, good judgment, and what I mean by judgment is judging where the ball is going exactly. And as a result, being able to tell exactly where you should be going and positioning yourself to be able to hit a quality shot. And of course, good judgment is an essential, no matter what the situation, whether you're on the run or not. But especially when it's a difficult shot and you're being put on the run, you need to know exactly where the ball is headed. And so many recreational players misjudge where the ball is going and it leads to panic. One of two things happens. Either they overrun because they thought the ball was a little further away than in reality. So they overrun the ball and get jammed up. This leads to poor technique and you'll never be able to hit you know, a high quality or a high level shot when the ball is too close to you, it's possible to still hit a good shot, but definitely not, definitely not the type of shot that is as good as you can. And the second mistake that they'll make is they'll misjudge the ball and think that they're going to get there. No problem. It ends up being further away than they thought. 
And so they underrun where the shot is, and they end up stretching and reaching for the ball, again, which is poor technique. You talked about the kinetic chain in your question, Jesse, which is excellent that you're aware of that. That's basically the efficient use of your body and the transfer of energy from your lower body to your core and then out through your arm or arms and out out to the the racket head, uh, ultimately. And when you're either too close or too far away from the ball, using the kinetic chain correctly is pretty much impossible. So good judgment is key. And you can develop that. This is something where very often, in my experience, recreational players make the same mistake over and over again. And uh, typically players are always getting too close or they're always too far away. And in different circumstances or situations, they make consistent mistakes. And it's up to all of you at home listening to figure out what those mistakes are that you make and then break those habits, do something different, and force yourself to get out of that rut where you're mispositioning yourself over and over again. So, That's number one, good judgment. You have to know real clearly where the ball is headed so that you can position yourself correctly. Number two, coordination between your upper and lower body. And this has to do with the kinetic chain, but I'm going to talk about something specific about it. And that is kind of the the separation between your lower body and your upper body. And this is something that Andy Zodin, uh, he was a guest of mine on the podcast a, a while back, and he talked about this which I thought was a really good observation. I can't remember exactly what context he brought it, uh, brought it up under, but it has to do with hitting shots under duress, you know, when you're in trouble, and, and certainly being on the run is one of those situations. But you have to try to separate your lower and upper body so that your urgent and explosive and, and fast and powerful with your lower body, because when you're on the run, you know, the assumption is that it's a difficult shot and you're having to run just to get there. And the types of shots Jesse are talking about are so tough that you really have no choice but to continue to run as you hit the ball. That's what makes these difficult. It's not that we're running, getting, you know, stopping, getting set up, having time to be calm and relaxed and hit a shot and then move back to the middle. We're having to run as we hit, which is difficult. So the hard part is being urgent and quick with your lower body while being calm and collected with your upper body. If you panic with your upper body, the kinetic chain will not be preserved. Everything will go too quick and probably kind of jerky and tight, and all of a sudden you don't have that smooth and flowing stroke on your forehand or backhand that you had before. Instead, everything gets rushed and it just the ball just doesn't come off the racket with as much pace or spin or accuracy as what you are used to having when you receive a typical shot from your opponent. So you have to coordinate correctly between your lower and upper body. And then thirdly, essential for being able to hit good shots on the run is practice. You can practice that good judgment. You can practice that coordination between your lower body and your upper body. And I really encourage you to do so, Jesse, and everybody else listening at home. Use a ball machine uh, to, to feed you those types of shots. Get a partner and have them feed to you difficult shots to the right or to the left. Whatever you can do to give yourself repetition and practice these things on, on purpose over and over again, do that. You need to train your body and 
train your mind to to work efficiently and smoothly and be calm and collected. If you start to panic as you run towards the ball, then preserving your good technique that you've worked on for months and years is almost impossible. It also throws your balance off in general. Yeah, you know, kind of your entire body, but upper body and lower body. When when you start to panic and you're having to run to get to the ball and you're having to run through the point of contact, it's very easy to 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 panic and everything technique wise just goes down the tubes really quickly. So, Jesse, there you go. Those are the three most important elements for you to uh, to keep in mind as you try to improve your shots on the run. Good judgment, good coordination between your upper body and lower body, and practice. There's no special techniques here. It's not that the pros use different techniques when they're on the run and having to hit in difficult situations. Um, they're incredible athletes. And so things like good judgment and the coordination between the lower and upper body, things like that, I mean, it's it's a given. They're they're able to do that. They're not having to work on that specifically and think about it. Just because they've played for so long at such a high level, it's something that automatically happens. And you know, the rest of us watching on TV, you know, are are in awe of that. And it seems like it's superhuman, but it's something that's been developed. And those of you listening, be encouraged. You can develop it too. Obviously, probably not to the same level that they have, but the the very fact that you see people on TV playing at that level means that anybody who puts the time into it and hard work can get better. And better, of course, is a relative statement. We're all starting from different starting points and we all have different abilities and uh, gifts physically and athletically. But wherever you are now, and this is why the podcast works. This is why people who listen to this show do get better because I give them the really, really core fundamental things to work on. And regardless of your athleticism and your experience, if you focus on those things and improve those big core things, you can raise the level of your game. And this shot is certainly not an exception to that. So Jesse, thanks very much for the great question, great topic. Thank you very much for being a listener of the show. And let me know if I can help any further I can have All right, that does it for episode number 160 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to today's show. And in wrapping up, I'd like to read a couple of comments that were posted about last week's episode, number 159. And by the way, if you enjoyed today's episode or you have any general comments about it or questions about anything I talked about in today's episode, you can always feel free to leave me comments and questions at EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Click on episode number 160 and leave your thoughts. I read I read all of those personally and, and usually respond to all of them. And I'm going to continue reading a couple comments at the end of each episode. So number 159, I talked about raising your tennis IQ and also which parts of tennis are natural and which need to be learned. So first, quickly here, I have a, a comment about the tennis IQ part. And I, I had talked in that episode about... Um, Having having players, high-level players, very often pick things up quickly because they have some previous experience in a, in a different sport or they've been playing tennis a long time, and so they pick up different skills very quickly. And I have a comment here from Soren that I thought was interesting. He wrote and said, Hi, Ian. Great show. 
about people having different athletic skills, perhaps honed over the years of practice and other sports that possibly translate over into making their tennis look natural, I think you also could have noted the variability and kinesthetic sense among people, i.e. being aware and in control of your own body position and movement, mainly unconsciously. You see this very clearly in kids. I have four of my own, ages 2 to 12 year old, 2 to 12 year old, so I rely on that experience. I have seen a 6 year old run to a low short ball and pick it up solidly with a one-handed sliced backhand and keeping balanced by crossing over with his back foot. This came utterly out of the blue to me. We had never practiced anything like that. We don't practice, by the way, he says, quote-unquote, practice, just having fun, aiming for targets, competing for ice cream, etc. He had just seen it on TV. Being that young, he he has not honed these skills for years. Surely playing soccer and being athletic overall helps, but the pattern of movement I mentioned does not appear in any other activity he does. The natural way for kids to learn is by watching and imitating, not by introspective reasoning about, uh, as, as an example, how effectively they pronate on their serve. Growing up, we can take in more abstract information and do the reasoning in order to justify certain patterns of movement or tactics of play. The interesting thing is that we then learn not to imitate top players. All right. Sorry, uh, good thoughts. And there's definitely a balance. And I and I talked on last week's show about how very often players who pick things up very quickly, they have a um, they have kind of a predisposition to picking up athletic things because they've had practice and training and experience in athletics in general, maybe different sports, uh, etc. And I'm not going to deny that there are different natural abilities and different amounts of natural athleticism or, or you know kind of a awareness or or sense about them uh kinesthetic uh sense is is what soren said so i i totally agree with that i think in general uh i i think in general recreational players tend to attribute high level play more so to those kind of natural oh he's just a natural player he just picks things up you know, quickly, it's no fair. And they they kind of write off their own possibility being, being able to do those things because they think, well, I'm not that natural of an athlete. I've never just picked things up right away. And so I, I think a lot of players sell themselves short because they see good players and they assume that can't be me because I don't have the natural athleticism. So that's why I really focused on just the one side of the coin last week. But, you know, I can't deny that there's a certain amount of, of you know, genetics and different natural abilities that people are blessed with. And that's certainly part of it as well. And it's cool that you get to see that in your children. I, I bet other, uh, other of your kids, of the three others, probably don't have that awareness to be able to just naturally come up with that footwork and that shot like that. Uh, that you saw your one son uh, do, six-year-old. That's awesome. That must be a lot of fun to watch. And next up, we have a comment from Beth. And I talked about the different phases of learning a physical skill last week. She wrote and said, Hi, Ian. I absolutely needed one thing that you said in this show. Don't give up. It will come with time and practice. 
I seem to be living between consciously incompetent and consciously competent. The problem is, at times, I seem to be flowing the wrong direction. Back in November, my backhand was amazing, great rhythm, good contact, and pace on the ball, far more consistent than my forehand. I felt I could stand in that in the ad corner for hours and hit the ball and hit ball after ball. Then the past month or so, I can't hit the ball at all on the backhand side, framing it all the time, timing issues, drawing my elbows in late, no core turn, net lawn, net lawn, etc. I'm just I'm sorry, I'm just now barely getting it reconstructed. So your comments really helped give me a glimmer of hope. Yes, I, I was talking last week about the four stages of learning a skill and how it takes a lot of time and repetition before we can ever make good technique a habit where it automatically happens over and over again. And I, I kind of went on a little rant or, or speech saying, don't be frustrated if you keep reverting to an old habit and then you fix it and then it goes back again and you fix it. Don't be too frustrated by that. It's natural and it's going to happen at least sometimes. And if you need to hear a message like that, go back and listen to podcast number 159 if you haven't already. And Beth, I'm glad I gave you a little bit of hope there. And yes, please don't let it get you down. It's part of the process of trying to become a good player. It will happen even when you're, even when years from now, you're a much better player than you are now. It's going to happen where something, some kind of skill that you thought was just automatic and you would never have to think about ever again. You'll just out of the blue have issues with it, and it's just part of the game. Even the pros deal with things like that where their timing or rhythm is off or technique-wise, something just doesn't work quite right over a given period of time, and so don't let it get you down. Keep working hard and just enjoy the process of working on it, being out there, being on the courts, and having an athletic endeavor that you can work towards. So Soren and Beth, thank you both for your comments and everybody else who left comments last week as well. Thank you very much. If you'd like to comment on show number 160, do that by going to essentialtennis.com slash podcast. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks very much for listening. Take care and good luck with your tennis. 